on deck on turning the corner. The Athletics Cody Stavenhagen and co-host Kieran Steckley try to process the Detroit Tigers losing skid as well as look forward to the 2021 MLB Draft. And welcome in to another episode of Turning the Corner, a Detroit Tigers podcast. I am a completely healthy Karen Steckley. I've recovered from my head cold. I hope the audio sounds a lot better. I am joined, of course, by the Athletics, Cody Stavenhagen. Cody, how you doing, man? Hey, I'm here. I'm back. I think the audio is going to be slightly better today. Uh, I'm not even going to get into all the technical difficulties that went into this other than, I think we said this a few weeks ago, Joe Madden was talking about, we can we can put something on the moon, but we don't know what a check swing is. And like, we can put something on the moon, yet for some reason my MacBook Pro will just not recognize audio input devices that, that are plugged in. I don't know. We, we put a man on the moon, we put stuff in on Mars. Um, hopefully it's a little better today for you guys. Well, you sound better. But doesn't look better is the Detroit Tigers, and they are. I thought you were gonna say me. And I was like, oh, that's probably true too. But no, 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 no. You're a good-looking cat. You're a good-looking cat. The bad-looking cats are on the field at Yankee Stadium in Comerica Park. Cody, I honestly don't even know like what we're watching. We're watching a team that, statistically speaking, is as bad or worse than some of the first teams that you covered. And I'm been under the impression this whole season that they should be better than this. Am I just lying to myself? No, Kieran, you're not. I think one of our goals for today's podcast is to talk about the major league team about as little as possible because we're going to dive into some draft stuff, some minor league stuff, but we will address the very, very bad Detroit Tigers. And I shared this on Twitter Friday night after they lost to the Yankees 10-0. But being this bad in 2021 was not part of the plan. Even in, I think being terrible in 2019, as awful as it was, was kind of part of the plan, or at least expected. And after that season, Alavila sat there at the winter meetings in San Diego and said, we're going to begin building up the roster. He didn't mean they were going to go sign Garrett Cole or Anthony Rendon at that winter meetings. But I think he he, he kind of delivered when you got Scope, CJ Crone, Austin Romine, some major league players, uh, and the Tigers, although they finished in last place in the shortened 2020 season, uh, for the vast majority of those 60 games, they looked, you know, pretty close to a major league product. It was a young team. It wasn't a great team, but rarely was it just horrific to watch. And then, I don't know, uh, this offseason, it became pretty clear, an offseason that I think initially was going to be a step closer toward really building, maybe going after, uh, I know Jack Peterson's not actually had a good start in Chicago, but some names like that, uh, Michael Brantley, like, I don't know, kind of a higher tier of player is what, what I initially thought was going to happen. It didn't happen. It seemed like Chris Illich kept the budget extremely limited. And for some reason, the Tigers didn't seem too interested in adding a first baseman, they seem to really want to double down on Willie Castro and developing him as, as a shortstop, which pretty understandable, but at the same time, now he's pretty much playing second base, and it's like you have Nico Goodrum, who I, I love watching the guy field the baseball, but he is what he is at the plate. 
I think you had a couple glaring flaws in the way this team was assembled, even though I think Robbie Grossman was a good signing and will probably hit better. Um, you're still investing in Victor Reyes, Jacoby Jones, guys we've seen for three years now who just aren't very good players. Uh, and with them, like I said on last week's podcast, the Augie Grito, Daryl Royal story, like potential will get your ass fired. And, and I don't even know if we're betting on potential at this point. I think there were some, some tragic flaws in the way this roster was assembled that, that I pointed out in spring training. I was like, who is going to hit for this team? And so far, that's what we're seeing. We are seeing some very, very bad at bats in addition to a bullpen that I actually thought was going to be a little bit better than it is. All that is to say, I don't think this was part of the plan. The Tigers were never really planning to contend this year, but if you could win, you know, 70 games, even 65, but like you see progress in my Scooble, you get Paredes, Manning to the majors, that could be a good year. Right now, this looks like the 2019 Tigers. Uh, I, I hope, I pray that this team continues to improve because I'm not thrilled to watch 134, 133 more of these games. It's been rough. It's been brutal. I think A.J. Hinch and the new coaching staff are doing what they can. This can't be fun for them either. Uh, another thing I've said on this before that, that Lloyd McClendon once told me, you can't win the Kentucky Derby. Today is Saturday. It's Derby Day. You can't win the Kentucky Derby with a mule. And a lot of mules on this Tigers roster right now. I was going to say, if potential gets you fired, what does not potential get you? Because... At it, apparently it gets you time to be bad for as long as you want. I don't know. Because, again, I try to be a pretty even-keeled guy with the, with the teams that I watch, and God help me, I'm a very patient man being a lifelong Lions fan, which this is draft weekend. Once again, by the way, love the Lions draft. Said that probably every year of my life, and it's gotten, gotten me abs- <laughs> absolutely nowhere. But... I'm at the end of at the end of my rope with a lot of these guys on the major league roster, and when you get to that point mentally, the only thing you can do is look forward. The problem is physically, timeline wise, you can't really look forward because with the minor league season just now gonna get started, it's not like let's say Paredes plays two games in AAA and then they move him up like you got to give him time to sort of get acclimated to competitive baseball again before you try to shoot him back up to the majors so it's not like there's anyone like immediately in the wings here yeah I think that's part of the problem I think I think the manager of this team probably agrees I think AJ Hinch has hinted at it a little bit this week I think others around the team have hinted at it I asked AJ, uh, you know, before the opener against the Yankees when he had Harold Castro in left field, just how do you balance? You're rewarding Harold for having some good at-bats, not saying Harold's the world's greatest player, but he is performing better than most of these guys right now. How do you balance that versus getting guys like Reyes, guys like Jacoby Jones uh, going a little bit? And he was pretty forthcoming in that, hey, we've seen these guys for a month now, and if you're not performing... You know, we can't put you out there just to put you out there much longer. And I think that's a really strong point. I think Kinch is done with some of these guys. The problem is there's not really anyone to replace them with, um, especially because the minor league season has delayed. There's not that hot hitter. I think if Isak Paredes has one or two good weeks in AAA, he might shoot up to the major leagues. Um, But, you know, like, what do you do? Obviously, 
the real guys in this system, the hitters, are still a little further away in terms of Torkelson and Green. I don't think we're going to see them this year, and, and fans are probably going to start clamoring for them. But again, remember uh, Torkelson especially in spring training. They probably need a, a full year in the minor leagues. And so then it's like, okay, what can you do to improve this roster? Sadly, not a lot. I think maybe there are some little moves. Again, wouldn't it be nice if you had a, a player with 120 weighted runs created plus last year? That's Renato Nunez. I think you need to find a way to get him on the roster and get at bats. If that means you're not as good defensively, whatever, you're not very good defensively anyway. So I I, I think we need to do something to change up this mix because it's it's been rough. The Nunez thing is interesting to me because we've been on here talking about how he does bring value. However, it's not like they DFA'd him after he was lighting the world on fire at the major leagues. He had a couple nice hits, and to be honest, I not really like watching the games and thinking, oh man, if they just would have kept Nunez. Right. So it, that that's an example of sort of being like in a rock and a hard place where like, yeah, I acknowledge the guy can help. But if that's something that you got to hang your hat on, then we're talking about bigger problems here. You're right. And I, I do think it's worth keeping in mind with Nunez. Although I've really want, you know, thought he should have been on the roster since the day he signed. He signed a minor league deal, which indicates he didn't have better options. He, uh, he didn't make the team out of spring training. He chose to remain with the Tigers because he didn't really have other options. And then he cleared waivers after he was DFA'd. So that also tells you a little bit about what the rest of the league thinks of Renato Nunez. Now, at the same time, Renato Nunez is not going to be a great player. He's probably worth one to two wins max if he has a great year. But that's better than some of these guys who are struggling to hit 200 right now and have never had power in their program. It's basically everything. So that's where we're at. That's Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, you brought up defense. And I, I typically don't dive too far into advanced metri- metrics, and I think that's one of the things that makes this podcast pretty balanced. I tend to be more eyes. You tend to love the numbers a little bit more than I do. I, I'm not anti-analytics, but you know, I just tend to look at my eyes a little bit more. I can't figure out. Analytically, I test. Is this a good defensive team? Because I keep hearing that it's like, leader in defensive run saves and then i'm reading your articles on the athletic and it's like nah they suck they they're they're not a good defensive team yeah they're not and they were kind of oddly leading the league in in defensive runs saved for um the first couple weeks and that number actually tanked after their five error game against the yankees it kind of shows you how fickle the drs metric can be i do think it's one that even most people will tell you needs a bigger sample size there's a lot that goes into calculating it I'd recommend Googling it because you will you will understand it better than if I try to explain it. Um, players, sometimes they say you really need to look at like a three-year sample of their defensive runs saved just because of how much it can vary, how much of it can be dependent on luck. I think uh, the Tigers do shift well. I think the shift has saved them some runs. The, the data AJ Hinch and his staff have brought, even though you see a single squeak through the infield every now and then, every time you see that, you have to remember the balls that were hit into the shift. I think the balls that were hit into the shift have outweighed, and that's really helped the Tigers this year. But my eyes have always told me this is not a very good defensive team. Who's who's a who's a plus fielder on this team? It wasn't Willie Castro at short. Uh, Jamer Candelario is not as good at third as we kind of like to think. He's he's okay. 
Uh, you don't really have anyone who covers a ton of ground in the outfield. You have a really bad catcher defensively in Wilson Ramos. Jonathan Scope is playing first, and he's not that great. Like, Nico Goodrum's your best defensive player, and we're just now moving on there. So, no, this isn't a good defensive team. Uh, it's largely the same guys who have been playing on the team for the past couple years, and those weren't good defensive teams. And guess what? Uh, it's not magically just going to get better overnight. Well, you know, like, like you said, we're recording this on Saturday. So today, Willie Castro, at second base, by the way, just had a ridiculous throwing error. Just routine ground ball, sails it on Jonathan Scope. Uh, no damage done other than and no advanced base, I should say. Obviously, it's an error a guy gets on. But that it's just comical. It's comical that... Major League. We used to talk about this with uh, Christian Stewart. I'm not trying to drag the guy when he's not on the Major League roster anymore. But I used to say, you know, he played his entire life, you know, playing baseball, presumably in the outfield. He goes to college. He's a college outfielder. Good program. All those years in the minor leagues as a professional baseball player gets to the Major League, gets Major League coaching. And he doesn't even look comfortable fielding a fly ball. Like, it, it, it baffles my mind that guys can get to this level without even having like good body mechanics doing this. And Willie has terrible mechanics of throwing. He looks uncomfortable throwing from second to first. Yeah, it's 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 kind of weird. I mean, I, I guess it goes to show you how hard it is to hit a baseball because you could go to your local high school and if it's a, you know, a big school, you're going to see guys who have better form in the outfield than Kristen Stewart and Willie Castro do um, in, in the outfield and infield respectively. But those guys probably also cannot hit, you know, if they can hit high school pitching, they probably can't hit college pitching. Hitting is really, really hard. That's probably what has allowed these guys to advance. But I agree. It's kind of crazy. Like, I feel like it's not that hard to <laughs> have some of the fundamentals down. But, uh, you know, especially with, with the two players you just mentioned, uh, we, we see that. So this week, Cody, you wrote an in-depth profile about our boy Akil Badu and... It's on The Athletic right now. If you're a subscriber, you can read it. Highly recommend you going to do that. It's obvious that you went after this story trying to figure out the man beneath the jersey. And there's a lot to his story, more so than Rule 5 draft pick and Tommy John. So I just want to give you an opportunity to sort of, you know, plug that story a little bit and maybe talk about some of the things that that you learned about Akil throughout this reporting process. Yeah, un unfortunately, this story, it took a little longer for it to come out because it took a lot of reporting. So by the time it got done, Akil's um, obviously already cooled off quite a bit. Uh, I don't, he's not exactly lighting the world on fire anymore. But from the benefit of having more time to dig into this guy and his background, um, it, it's just interesting. There's always more to the story from a journalistic perspective. I think that's almost always true. Sometimes when I see things that almost seem a little too like happy feely, I'm like, there's got to be more going on there. Uh, but I set out with the idea to answer the question, how has Akil Badu gotten better at baseball after not really playing for two years? So it was going to be a very baseball centric story. How did this guy improve his game? How is this kid from class A suddenly succeeding in the major leagues? You know, so I talked to his strength coach, to his uh, hitting coach at a facility he works at, out at, to a guy who 
uh, as kind of his like spiritual advisor and, and tutored him in math and science. Um, so I got several different perspectives on kind of what drives Akil Badu, what forms his work habits. And those were all interesting. All people who spoke very highly of, uh, I mean, they're, you know, they're going to say any kid works hard, but you do this long enough, you can tell the difference when someone's BSing you and when they're not. And they say Badu's the type of guy who brings a different demeanor to his work, to his preparation. Some of that was a result of the Tommy John. I mean, he said he has to prepare like a two-way player now. He's doing mobility stuff. He's doing bands. That's really probably helped the development of his body more so than just trying to bench press a lot of heavy weight or, or stuff like that. Uh, but in the course of talking to these people, it comes up that, that Akil had endured a family tragedy in this same time period in August of 2020. And I heard that from a couple of different people and uh, neither of them went into a ton of detail with me, obviously, out of respect for Akil, which I understood. Uh, so then as a reporter, it kind of put me in a strange position like, okay, if I'm going to write about the past two years of this guy's life, I'm sure this tragedy was a big part of it. Um, it's it's kind of amazing what you can just find on the internet. And it turns out Akil actually has a set of initials in his Twitter bio, LLSJG. I, I assume it stands for Long Live Shaquan John Glor. Uh, which happens to be one of his two older brothers. So if you if you know, if you watch the Fox Sports broadcast, you know his parents and two younger brothers were at his debut, you know, when he hit the Grand Slam, they were there. His, his older brothers were not, and, and um, unfortunately one of them died this past August. So I was able to kind of decipher that through um, some social media through some others. There was an obituary online, but there was not a lot more information. It was one of those things where you kind of get the sense something was probably off. The older brother had a different last name. So the family dynamics are more complicated than, than, um, we might've initially known with the Badu family. And so it's kind of like, what is the, the right way to approach that? Not number one, to get an questions answered as a journalist, but number two, to have some empathy about it as a human being to respect Badu and his family. I think in a normal time, I'd probably approach Akil in the clubhouse and try to kind of pull him aside or make sure we could talk, you know, quietly and just be like, Hey, uh, so I was reporting this story on you and, and I heard you had a tragedy. I don't really know what it is. I think it's your brother. Um, and there's, there's no like non-awkward way to do it. Sometimes you also just have to ask and be like, is this something you would be comfortable talking about? Is this, you know, would you like to honor your brother if I wrote a story about it and what happened? Because I think some people, you know, I've done stories like that where they, they would love to talk about situations like these. And some people don't want to talk at all. And I, I definitely understand um, both points of view. But anyway, I can't do that because we are still in the uh, latter stages of a pandemic. The clubhouse is closed. Um, so I, I had to call one of the Tigers PR representatives, Ben Fiddleman, who did a nice job, kind of, and I just basically told him what I've explained on this podcast, and I was like, is there a way I can, you know, talk to Akil or get him on the phone or, or relay a message to him or what, and uh, Ben did a good job basically relaying, I think, what I just laid out to Akil. Akil agreed to the interview. He agreed to discuss his brother. And then uh, 10 minutes before we, it took about a week to actually set the time and get a time when Akil had, you know, a few spare minutes between all his busy preparation. 
About 10 minutes before the interview actually comes around, I get a text and it's, hey, Akil talked with his family a little more and, and decided he, he doesn't want to talk about his brother. So then it was like, okay, now what do I do again? I still want to write this story about this guy. I still want to write about what he did from a baseball perspective to improve himself because it's very interesting. Um, but I'm also not comfortable as a journalist neglecting something I know was a very big impact on this guy's life. So I went in and I told Akil right off the bat, I was like, hey, uh, I definitely don't want to make you um, uncomfortable. I know there are things you probably want to keep private, but I hope we can, you know, let's just talk about baseball for a little bit and we kind of circle back around to some more personal stuff at the end. And, and um, you know, I just hope you can, hope you know you can trust me even though you don't know me, which which is not a, a very good sales pitch. And, um, you know, just see what you're comfortable sharing. And so we talked and we had a good talk. Nikhil was, was a great interview, very... Uh, very positive guy, very humorous guy, you know, and kind of toward the end, I, um, I was just like, you know, I, I also know you suffered this loss. Like, how did that affect you? And he talked about wanting to honor his brother to continue to list his, lift his name up. He chose not to venture into further details about the, the circumstance of his brother's death or other things that I'm sure are very complicated that I know the the family is grieving from, but it's still added another dimension to the Badu story to reminder he's not just this caricature rule five pick yes he is a kid who came out of nowhere and worked very hard but he's also a human being who has number one overcome um, a family tragedy and number two done some real serious work to get where he is right now it's not just a stroke of good luck although you know I'm not saying he's going to continue to tear up the major leagues as a player but he is here, I think, for a reason, because of a pretty uncommon level of work. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if, if the passing of his brother even served as a little bit of a motivating factor in the way he prepared since last August. Um, so anyway, I hope you'll check that story out. It's it's on The Athletic. I think it, it tells you a lot of things about Akil Badu. You probably didn't know from why he draws a cross in the dirt before every at bat to uh, the the necklace that he wears to some some different elements like that that hopefully can paint him as as a little bit of a more of a three dimensional person. And I will say I came away from reporting this story also very impressed with Akil Badu, um, not just as a worker but as a as a human being, a guy who I think has probably had to work to obtain this positive spirit that he has. Um, I, I was probably just scratching the surface, honestly, of what's really gone on in his life. But uh, I, I think it's all the more reason for fans out there to root for Akil Badu. Based on that story, you can tell that there's been some heavy moments in his life, both of the serious and non-serious nature, if you think about like struggles yeah. in the game of baseball and then struggles in, in life. A lot for a 22-year-old. Yeah, definitely. That's one of the things is, uh, his hitting coach said. Probably he's gone through a little more than your average 22-year-old. And that's not to say 22-year-olds haven't been through uh, difficult times or tragedies. But I, I don't know. I mean, I think a lot of the baseball players, um, especially American-born players that we cover, can be kind of kids of privilege, you know, especially how hard it is to play this game and to travel. And Akil Badu's father is an engineer, and, and so it's not so much about economics, but I think Akil Badu has probably been through more stuff than maybe your average 22-year-old baseball player has. And I think that's 
absolutely part of why he has succeeded despite missing a whole year with Tommy John, not playing in 2020. I think it, it all kind of rounded him into the type of person who was able to overcome that, able to um, use that time to make himself better when he easily could have quit. He easily could have just not gotten better as a player over that course of two years. He easily could have not made the Detroit Tigers, but here he is. He had a, a very magical spring training, a very magical first month in the big leagues. It's all coming back down to reality now, and, and now is probably the, the real test of what he is as a player, as an athlete. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's the type of story that uh, it's hard not to root for. Hard not to root for, and earlier when I was talking about dudes that I'm at the end of my rope with, I don't put him in that category. I still, I'm, I'm not trying to like fall for like these amazing moments that happen in the first few weeks. But it's also, you know, he's young, as we said, 22 years old. So he's not like a near 30 year old like a Jacoby Jones, and he's getting major league at bats when he probably should be getting double A at bats. And so if you look at it through that lens, that's a guy that when he is in the lineup. I'm really curious to to see what he's going to do. Not because of some outwardly moment that places unrealistic expectations, but just because he does feel like a growing player still to me. Yeah, absolutely. I think he's, I don't know, like I'm not saying he's going to develop into an all-star. It's still kind of tough to know what his future holds, but he's shown some tools. He's shown some real ability that it's kind of tough to deny his swing and miss is really concerning. It was like up to 48% at one point. He swings and misses a lot, and that's not good. But even with that, I think his at-bats have still largely been a little more competitive than what we've seen out of Jacoby Jones or Nico Goodrum or Willie Castro at some times. I think he's shown an ability Victor to fight Reyes. off some pitches. Victor Reyes to, I don't know, just look like a hitter who, even though he's not hitting well, is still having some decent at-bats most of the time, where some of these other guys, guys who are older, guys who have been around longer, it's like, it's just brutal to watch. And that's a good transition to one of the news items of the week. We got roster announcements for the minor league affiliates. The most notable would be Riley Green in double-A and Spencer Torkelson in high-A ball. And the the triple-A roster is... Basically, the guys we watched in spring training or had been in the uh, spot major league duty, Paredes, who obviously they're kind of banking on, Jake Rogers, who, you know, we just got to see, Christian Stewart, Derek Hill, Daz Cameron, a lot of those guys that given, which by the way, it's feeding time for my dogs. So if you hear some paws pitter-pattering in the background, they are anxiously awaiting some food. Uh how many animals do you have, Kieran? Kieran's house is like a zoo, guys. Right now, I have four. Unfortunately, we had to say goodbye to a 18-year-old cat a few months ago. So right now, we have two dogs, a German Shepherd and a half-Great Dane. The German Shepherd is a uh, rescue from my future sister and brother-in-law's uh, rescue. They run a German Shepherd rescue German Shepherd Rescue of Texas. If you are curious uh, and you want and you have in your heart to donate to a a well-run operation that saves lives, and then we have two cats. One of them is a kitten and uh, likes to 
jump on me while I'm reading emails and use my leg as a tree to climb up. So I, I keep the door closed when we record because I don't want to scream out in agony in the middle of one of my stellar Detroit Tigers points as a cat jumps up on my leg. So anywho, uh, the AAA roster, it's a lot of guys that we expect to see in the majors at some point, especially given the tone of this conversation earlier. Uh, Matt Manning among them as well. So any any interesting notes about the placement of some of these guys, Cody? Yeah, I think like the AAA team, my editor was like, so if the if the Tigers continue to play so poorly, do you think you'll, it'd be worth spending a lot of time in Toledo? And I was like, well... Last year, before the season was canceled, Toledo was going to be like the spot with uh, probably Mize, Scooble, Manning, a healthy Fiedo. They were all going to be there. Like that was going to be the place. And this year it's like, well, you have Manning who is going to get to the big leagues. We've kind of seen a ton of Matt Manning now. A lot of these other guys, the Jake Rogers, Daz Cameron, even Isak Paredes, like their stock is kind of trending down right now. Although I, I think Paredes can definitely be a good player. That's like the AAA team. We're going to see a lot of these guys in the big leagues, but there aren't really, outside of Matt Manning, there aren't like the big names. Um, obviously, Riley Green's in AA. He's still pretty young for a AA player. Alavila always seemed to indicate that they would probably start Riley Green in AA. I think he's shown he's absolutely capable of handling it, so I wasn't surprised by that placement. But I do think it will be interesting to see how Riley Green handles a better level of pitching day in and day out. I think there's this idea that Riley Green's just going to continue to shoot through the system. But remember, he actually struggled at the end of his first year, uh, first summer in the system at High A West Michigan or Low A West Michigan at the time. Um, he didn't hit very well there. He was he was tired. It was the end of a long summer. How will he do now at? A level where, you know, some people say the best pitching is really at double A. Like the best pitching prospects a lot of the times are in double A, the guys with the, the great pure stuff. Be interested to see how he does. And then I think High A West Michigan is the interesting, most interesting stop to start this year. Dylan Dingler is there. Trey Cruz is there. Daniel Cabrera is there. Parker Meadows, Bryant Packard. So a lot of this past year's draft class, plus some other guys like Packard who have made themselves into interesting prospects. And of course, Spencer Torkelson is there. Uh, hoping to write on Spencer Torkelson for next week as well. Um, so Tigers PR, if you want to hit me back on that interview request, that'd be cool. But anyway, so Torkelson's, um, you know, he's going to be there. It's only two hours from Detroit. Might be, you know, a place I hope to go see him at least once this summer while he was there. We saw Torque struggle in spring training, but I would not be shocked if Torkelson uh, really tears up the high A level and shoots himself up to double A pretty quickly in the year. I think out of all these placements, maybe the most interesting, none other than Franklin Perez, who will also be in high A. Uh, last year, I think the Tigers were considering starting him in double A, you know, when he looked pretty good in spring training and they were like, let's start him in double A, let's shoot him right to triple A. Um, maybe he ends the year in the majors or you start him in Lakeland and you get him to Erie as soon as the weather gets better. Like they were talking about really moving press through the system. And then I think we talked about it last podcast. He, he struggled mightily, did not look good at all this spring, even though he was supposedly healthy, his fastball was struggling to reach 90. So he starts in high A. I was, I was curious, will he start in, um, 
in double A? Will he start in high A? Might they keep him in Lakeland just so he can be around, you know, the trainers, the facilities that are there? We'll see Franklin Perez in high A. We'll see if his stuff improves at all throughout the season. And uh, I think those are some of the most interesting placements um, to me. Well, it should be noted that when we did our last podcast before the season started and we did sort of like a three keys or whatever and your your big point was the minor leagues got to get going that's really more important than anything that happens on the field in 2021 yeah and i one guy i forgot to mention ryan kreidler the infielder he was uh picked two years ago out of ucla he's starting in double a it's a pretty big jump for him i think he ended his first summer still in, in the rookie ball team that is no longer affiliated with the system in connecticut He's a guy who's really impressed some people. If you want to talk about a rising prospect who's a little more off the radar right now, it'd be Kreidler. His dad was a sports writer in, uh, in out in California, so that's pretty cool. He uh, He's a media-savvy kid, number one. And he's impressed some people in this system. I think he has a pretty good glove. And I think the Tigers are starting to think there might be a little more in his bat than they initially thought. So he's going to be a guy to keep an eye on and a guy making a pretty big jump to double A as well. Yeah, very, uh, very true. Uh, Riley Green, we haven't talked about him all that much on, on the podcast uh, of late, obviously, because they've just been training. I'm not one that feels the need to try to shoot him through the system. If he does that naturally, all well and good. But I would like to see him maybe in one spot for more of an extended period of time than he's ever really done full-on professionally whereas like you mentioned his rookie year so he does his high school and you know he's in florida so i imagine he's playing baseball year round gets drafted and immediately kind of gets into the tiger system shoots up and as you said he was just on fumes there at the end really kind of cooled off that's all well and good last year obviously gets robbed of a minor league season which i also believe that we're still at the point where that what happened in 2020 needs to be taken in consideration when we're looking at these young kids whereas they got a year of development taken away from them or development in the traditional sense taken away from them so riley in my in my view i would like to see riley sort of spend a month six weeks two months heck the whole season it's double a it's fine in a spot doing the travel doing you know staying at the the apartment sort of like living the professional ball player life and seeing how that sort of filters into his on-field play instead of this rush rush him up the system because the major league team is desperate for goodwill yeah and also interesting to see you know i actually talked to arnie baylor the double a manager today on a zoom call i was like how do you see Riley Green? Where are you, is he going to be in center field every day? Is he going to play all three outfield spots? He said Green will probably play all three outfield spots, which I think makes sense. You you want to try to develop him as a center fielder if you can. I think we've kind of come to the conclusion, maybe premature for a conclusion, but like if you need to put him in center field, you probably can. But especially in Comerica Park, you probably want. He's probably not an everyday like Gold Glove center fielder. But he could be a really, really good uh, corner outfielder. So it sounds like the Tigers are going to continue to use him and develop him in that way. To where hopefully when he gets to the big leagues, he can play any of those three outfield spots. And and if you need him in center for a day or two, you can do that. Um, 
So, yeah, something else to keep an eye on right there. Torkelson, is it realistic that he could get up to double A? I think Torkelson can absolutely get up to double A quickly. I don't I'm, I don't subscribe to the idea that Torkelson finishes this year in the majors. I don't think he, he should unless, I don't know, unless he's, he's still got a long way to rise through the system. I don't really see that as realistic. I do think it's realistic that if we really view this guy as an advanced hitter, he probably doesn't need to be in high A for that long. He probably needs to be challenged by the pitching that's in double A, by the more refined brand of baseball that is in triple A. I think he will benefit from those experiences. I think high A will be, for him, about some of the stuff you just mentioned with Riley Green. Getting used to the bus rides, the travel, the grind, the this is what it's really like to be a pro in a real year. Um, I think once he gets that under his belt, if he's hitting the ball like he should, I I would be a fan of pumping him up to Erie pretty quickly because I think you do need Torkelson, if not debuting in the majors at the next opening day, able to come up pretty quickly next season. I think that would be ideal for the Tigers. Obviously, that all depends on how he hits in the minors this year. Is he really ready? But that's at least how I see it. I'm generally not a fan of rushing guys through the system, but with Torkelson, he was hailed as the, the most polished, you know, first base prospect since Mark Desher, or third base prospect, whatever. Desher actually also came up as a third baseman. Um, as this polished hitter, I think even though he struggled in spring training, you see signs of a very polished hitter in terms of uh, his eye at the plate, in terms of the compact nature of his swing. I think he's an advanced guy. Um, I you know, I think he should spend most of this year in Erie and maybe even finish in Toledo. Uh, I think that might be the ideal circumstance. And remind us of what the Tigers have indicated as like sort of a realistic option for Manning to, to for like when he could get up to the bigs. Yeah, I don't think we have an exact date, but I think like the second half of the season, I don't think they're going to push him up here in like June, but I think when we get to post All-Star break, probably post trade deadline, especially if a starter or two is moved, that could really create a spot for Manning. It sounds like they're going to be pretty cautious with his innings in the first half of the season, let him, limit him to, you know, I don't know, maybe three or four at a time. We'll see how that plays out. But the thought is that if you make a move at the deadline or really what AJ Hinch just said toward the end of the year, when you have to start scaling back on Mize and Scoobles innings because of the, the shutdown, their, their innings limit that might be hanging over their heads, you can scale them back or, or shut them down. And then when Manning gets up there, you can ramp them up. You can have him ready to go six and seven innings. Um, probably some point in the, in the second half of the season, I would say if Matt Manning pitches, you know, well at all and is healthy in Toledo, we will see plenty of him in, you know, probably post-July. So this weekend, Cody, was the NFL draft, and A.J. Hinch was asked any advice for the Detroit Lions. And he said, take the best player available, regardless of position. And I saw that, and I thought, I think he's talking about Kumar Rocker. The Tigers do have pitching, obviously, in their system, and we're seeing them trying to find their way in the major leagues. And we just talked about Matt Manning and you know a couple other guys, but Rocker could be the best player available. And if that's his philosophy, it seems like the Kumar Rocker could be the pick, despite the fact that I watch this major league team and I just think 
bats, 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 bats. I talked about that before the season. That's one of my, that was one of my keys, one of my wishes. Got a little pushback from you. Got a little pushback from people on Twitter. That's all fine and good. But I, looking at this team, I just think like if you could get a top-notch talent in the lineup, that'd be so beneficial. And I'm not trying to be dismissive of pitching at all, but I just feel like there are tons of pitchers out there, not with the stuff of Rocker or Lighter, obviously, but there are just so many pitchers out there that you could sign the cheap deals, you could take in later rounds. And uh, I just think it we could be in a situation where getting that top positional bat, a guy that has some defensive upside as well, it, it just, to me, feels like it very possibly could be the better move, but I, I, I could be moved off that position. I think the people in who run the Detroit Tigers, from the front office to A.J. Hinch, the scouts, the analytics department, are having this very same debate right now. Um, I'll just opine real quickly. If I had it to do over again, I would do the entire rebuild over again, and I would build more around bats than around pitching. That worked for the Astros. That worked for the Cubs. Uh, it's worked for for the Padres right now. Um, I think it's just easier to acquire top notch pitching via free agency. A little bit more easier to to develop bats in your system. All that said, this draft, I think my love for Kumar Rocker is pretty well known. I like a guy who can get to the big leagues and help you out a little quicker than maybe a high school bat like uh, Marcelo Meyer, the shortstop out of California. But I'll just tell you the sense I'm getting. I've been hearing a lot of whispers about the draft recently. And I know the Tigers really love Marcelo Meyer. I, I went down a rabbit hole of watching some video. Love his footwork at shortstop. Look at Marcelo Meyer video and then look at Willie Castro video if you if you want a quick yeah. laugh. Uh, and he has a, a nice simple stroke with a, a, you know, a 6'4 room to really fill out that frame. I see why the Tigers scouts love him. Um now, I've heard two different things on Kumar Rocker. I get the sense that the Tigers really are looking at Meyer or Rocker right now. But again, when I say the Tigers, it's not like there's, you know, pause, the mascot is up there just making the pick. Like, there are a lot of people in the organization who have different thoughts, different opinions. I think uh, I've heard that if Rocker's there at three, they'll take him. And I've heard that they're not interested in Rocker at all. I would assume that probably comes from two different people who share who share um, those opinions on Rocker. His velo has been back up recently. I think at the table, they're having this same discussion. Do we want pitching? There's some stats out there that indicate maybe a high school bat overall on average can provide you a little more wins above replacement than a college pitcher at the top of the draft. So, But again, we, we think of high school bats as risky. We think it's going to take time to develop. So what do you do? I don't think the Tigers know the answer to that question right now. I think there's a lot of love for Meyer, but I wouldn't rule anything just out just yet. And one thing that could shake up the entire draft is Henry Davis, the catcher out of Louisville. Keith Law's written about it recently. I've, I've heard about it from some others recently. This guy's really good. I mean, 1-1 one, one type stuff. I don't know if he has like the Adley Rushman power profile, but his eye is incredible. Uh, it seems to project as a very good defensive catcher he's kind of pushing like i think i think the rangers i think the orioles like i don't think you can rule out um uh davis as like could he go one one or should he be on the tigers 
If he goes 1-1, what happens? Does Jordan Lawler move back to three? What happens to Jack Leiter? Like, that could really shake up how the Tigers look at things at three. Or should the Tigers be looking at Davis at three when there's no real answer on who your catcher is going to be? I think the Tigers really like Dylan Dingler, but is Dylan Dingler, like, an average MLB catcher at best where this Davis guy has a chance to be an all-star catcher? That might be kind of how I would view it. So I think... There's still plenty of time before the draft. Things could change a lot. Some of these high school kids, Brady House, could continue to kind of rise or fall on the board. So nothing is settled just yet. Uh, but I think Meyer versus Rocker is kind of the thought right now. I can also tell you, we talk a lot about what happens at three. The Tigers have some other high draft picks. They have picks at 32 and 39. Alavila and David Chad, I know for a fact, went to uh, Orchard Link St. Mary's recently. They watched Alex Mooney, who's the top player in Michigan, a high school shortstop. Pretty intriguing prospect in that he's not viewed to really have like these plus tools, but he's just like a baseball player across the board. He uh, you know, he runs and, and fields the ball pretty well. He's got a very good arm. Probably his run and his arm are the best tools. Maybe not a huge power profile, but a guy who can hit the baseball. A guy who uh, some scouts are like, Michael Young, maybe not saying he's going to have a Michael Young career, but like a Michael Young type player where he's just a solid ball player. So if you could get a shortstop like that at 32 or 39, uh, that would be pretty interesting. Might that factor into what the Tigers do at three? I don't know. A.J. Hinge would say take the best player available. Don't worry about positions. Um, But all all some interesting draft insights, and I think there's probably a lot more to come here in the next couple of months. It looks like Mooney is going to play at Duke, and that's another thing too with some of these high school kids. More when you get past, you know, where the Tigers are picking to open the round. But there was a athletic profile about Lawler, and one of the gists of the story was he is committed to Vanderbilt, and you know, Vanderbilt obviously fine school, really fine baseball program. I think it would probably be an amazing thing to play baseball at Vanderbilt. But when we're talking about top three, top two money, that's around, I believe, $8 million, you know, right off the bat, that's hard to turn down. Similarly, because he went to the same, he's at the same high school as uh, Josh Bell. And Josh Bell was a Texas commit, and he was a senior when I was a freshman, and our high schools played against each other. Obviously, I was not a varsity baseball player as a freshman, but I watched him play, and it was Texas all the way. His parents are professors. He's committed, and so, like, oh, he's going to fall in the draft. He got picked in the 30s, I think, by the Pirates, and he ended up signing. So uh, I don't know anything about Jordan. I don't know if this is a negotiation tactic or you know anything like that, but as of right now, he is not coming off his Vanderbilt stance, and signability you obviously don't want to waste the number two pick if the rangers want to take the local kid or if the if the tigers have an opportunity to draft him you don't want to waste that pick on a guy who is dead set on playing college baseball so i don't know how to read that in terms of will he come off that stance that's up for the teams to sort of figure that out but that's a factor i'm just telling you as of right now, that has to play in because the public profile that's been put out there by Jordan is 
I'm committed to Vanderbilt. That's an interesting thought. I think that's a good negotiating tactic, number one. But uh, we also can't discount signability. Think what happened last year. Heston Kerstad really rose up the draft boards, but no one quite thought he was going number two until draft night. And and the Orioles got him under slot and allocated some slot money elsewhere. And shout out Heston real quick. I've, I've uh, He's from Amarillo, Texas. He's my younger brother's age. I've watched Heston play baseball since he was five. I played with his two older brothers in high school. Um, amazing kid. One of those kids where you always knew. Like, you always knew Heston Kerstad was very special. But again, no one quite thought he was going number two. It's like maybe he pushes himself into the top ten, and then he goes number two. So, just like uh, just like the NFL draft, like surprises can happen. Like I uh, like I don't think Henry Davis is Trey Lance in terms of like coming from a you know lower division school or anything. But I think he's kind of the Trey Lance in terms of like what happens with Henry Davis might shake up what happens with this entire draft. Excellent analogy. Excellent analogy. All right, so last week, Cody, we recorded the podcast uh, while I was in Branson, Missouri, go, attending a wedding, and you called it, quote, a terse trap. By that point, I had not been out into Branson, Missouri, because we recorded in the morning on that Saturday. Shortly after, I went out into the greater Branson, Missouri, and let me tell you, I have never been to a tourist trap like that. Like it was kind of it was kind of like Jersey Shore-esque in terms of the sort of like eye-popping stuff that are meant to grab your attention. Basically every building on the main street had some sort of statue out front like a octopus coming out of the ground near the aquarium, Titanic museum shaped like a, you know, like the Titanic. They had roller coasters that are right off Main Street. A million 1950s-style diners. It was a lot. I wanted to get some food shortly after we recorded, and, you know, there's a lot of restaurants, but... There's Merle. Hey, Merle. Very loud and intimidating bark. First podcast appearance for Merle, so congratulations. So anyway, I wanted to get something to eat with my fiancé that wasn't like a novelty restaurant so i found this barbecue place inspired by your your slow story and it was called getting getting no g at the end getting basted nice barbecue name so we go there and we get their sampler platter brisket comes with two sides brisket ribs chicken pulled pork sausage and usually when we my fiance and i do this i gotta do the majority of the eating I didn't have to do that this time. It was that good. My fiance ate the entire chicken that was on the plate. I was just thoroughly impressed. She loved it so much. She was like, I can't stop eating it. I got maybe one piece of that chicken. The pulled pork was excellent. The ribs were charred but also juicy on the inside. Great. The brisket, a little dry for my taste. Not bad. A little dry for my taste. But overall, solid, and mac and cheese was uh, was one of the sides, and we got french fries, and it was so good. Now, the reason I wanted to bring it up is because there were a pretty good amount of Michigan license plates that we saw driving around, to the point that uh, my fiance opined, you know, how far away is Detroit or Michigan from Branson, Missouri? So, it's obviously a place that 
people would go to for vacation. So if you ever get to Branson, Missouri, and you want some good food, but you don't want to go to Johnny B. Goods 50s Diner, which I'm sure is excellent, but it's one of those touristy trap type places, getting basted. Highly recommend. And then another thing, Cody, last night I wanted to have some barbecue, have some more content for uh, for our listeners. It was a little rainy outside, though, so I couldn't grill. So I went and got some ribs, and I cooked them in the oven. I have a recipe that I found online for ribs in the oven that I think is just top-notch. Is that a sin? Is cooking ribs in the oven a sin? It is something that is acceptable if it needs to happen. So it was raining outside. I wanted some ribs. Cook them in the oven. So basically, you just take them out of the bag, take off the membrane, cover them in whatever rub you want, throw them in the oven, cover them in a pan with uh, aluminum foil, tightly sealed, and just cook them for about three and a half hours, depending on whether your oven runs hot or not, at 275, but some ovens run a little bit hotter than others. And I'll tell you what, Cody, I had these last night. They could not be held. They were so fall off the bone. And the barbecue sauce, I was able to pick up some salt lick spicy barbecue sauce from my local Kroger. And remember I was talking about the Sweet Baby Ray's sweet and, uh, sweet and spicy? This thing had no sweetness in it. It was all spicy, hey. but not to the point where they were just trying to put your mouth on fire. Recommend it. I might send you some so you don't have to do $20 worth of shipping. So that's my, that's my barbecue. I'll try to tweet out. Um, a photo when this podcast publishes of I'm not a skilled food photographer but you'll be able to get an idea of what I'm talking about with how juicy these ribs were highly recommend if you got it you're in Michigan it's cold outside all the time you can do ribs in the oven it's perfectly acceptable I've, I have a couple thoughts on this number one thou shall not go to Branson number two thou shall not cook ribs in the oven uh, <laughs> There's a King of the Hill episode uh, where they go to Branson and Hank Hill himself would uh, would surely not ever cook ribs in the oven. But um, anyway, I, I have a couple stories to share. We were talking about Merle, your dog, earlier. Olive, who uh, made an appearance on, I think, last week's podcast. Olive made an appearance on an AJ Hinch Zoom call this week. I don't even remember what day it was because it's been a long week, but it was... Uh, it was, um, I think, after one of Fulmer's outings, and I was asking AJ, like, is it safe to assume Fulmer goes back to a full workload? And he said no and explained how Scooble was going to start instead. And right as he said that, um, I had my office door open here, and Olive must have seen uh, someone walking outside my house, just walking down the street. And Olive does not like when people go and walks down the street. <laughs> she barked quite loudly. I tried to mute my computer. It was too late. Uh, luckily, I, I, I told people later than it, the day that I had scripted it, that I had trained her to do it, because AJ kind of laughed, and he said, I, I guess your dog doesn't like that answer. And then uh, <laughs> Matt Shepard uh, asked the next question. He said, I hope Cody didn't kick that dog. And then uh, <laughs> I, I said, no, I didn't. She saw someone outside, and then someone made a bad joke about, like, maybe it was a Kansas City Royal outside. Uh, that, that wasn't very funny, but, like... <laughs> but point being, the Tigers were on this terrible losing streak. The pressers had been a little more, like, 
you know, tense isn't the right word, but, like, it's just hard. Like, what do you ask AJ when the team's losing and it's not really his fault? And you ask him, how many different ways are there to ask? Like, the offense sucks, and after a while, he doesn't have a good way to answer. So they were getting kind of awkward, and I thought Olive's appearance really lightened the mood. It ended up, I was embarrassed at first, it ended up being a good thing for everybody. Well, despite what Cody said, Branson's fine if you're in a certain stage in your life. If you're trying to go out every night and use those kind of vacations, not really for you, but if you got a family or if you're in somewhat of the retirement era of your life, it's a fun little trip. My mom was pegging me with questions about it because that's a place that she's somewhat interested in going. Hopefully it's just just something her and my dad do i'm not necessarily interested in just going again to go but it's not that bad and i will stand ribs in the uh, oven speaking of mothers mother's day coming up cody any uh any interesting tidbits with your mother well yeah i found out that among our listeners i, I think we have a good idea that aj hinch is among our listeners i think we know that uh we have several like middle-aged white guys on twitter who are among our listeners my shout mother out. shout out to all you guys you're the ones keeping me employed i love it my mother is also a listener so uh shout out mom mother's day is next weekend i love you and i guess she's been listening you know listened to like several episodes in one day and one episode there was not an update about my dating life and she texted me and said, you left me on a cliffhanger or something to that effect. So uh, so, <laughs> so I should give a quick update. I, I do have uh, a date Sunday after the Tigers game. Um, second date with the girl. I don't know. No real expectations. Still kind of taking things very slowly. So nothing nothing to get too excited about, Mom. But we'll let you know. If I don't let you know, you can, you can uh, some incentive to keep listening to the podcast. I was about to say, I mean, I think that's how she should find out. <laughs> you know, she, we can do that here. You can't give updates on your dating life you know, on the stories in The Athletic, but we can do it here. <laughs> Not yet. We haven't reached that point. Uh, by August, if there's nothing to talk about the Tigers, <laughs> I, we'll see. We'll see. I don't know what I'm going to write about in August. but Well, hopefully, Cody, you get to have that interview with Spencer Torkelson, and we can read that on The Athletic next week if you're not an athletic subscriber please subscribe so that olive can continue to be well fed and interrupt aj hinch zoom calls i th- i think that's i think that's awesome and a, a great little uh great little way to break the ice of like you said earlier not the most pleasant of times in the detroit tigers clubhouse but we're having fun here thank you guys for listening please subscribe rate and review for cody statement hagen I'm Kieran Steckley. Thank you for listening.